With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Shop the Chemist Warehouse Mayhem Sale and get up to half price off big brand vitamins and cosmetics. This is In the Red with Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball on SENZ. It is 7 o'clock, yes, we celebrate all things to do with the Crusaders. Mark Watson alongside of me, all black, great Justin Marshall, and so much to celebrate against the Crusaders. Justin, good evening, welcome. Good evening, Watto, and uh, good evening to everybody joining us for In the Red this evening. Yeah, a lot of expectation and chat around the game at the weekend, the Crusaders versus the Blues, and uh, it delivered us a a high-quality game, and um, yeah, no doubt uh, all the Crusaders players, administration and fans out there will be pretty happy with the result. Have they got the momentum now? Are they the favourites to win Super Rugby? Um, Look, there's no doubt about the fact that uh, the the Crusaders are always going to be a team to be reckoned with if they can get their way into the finals. And, you know, there's always that uncertainty amongst other teams, if they do, of knowing the fact that the Crusaders... Love going, love going into quarters, semis, and finals, and have this unique ability to win them. Um, so, look, when you talk about momentum, I'm not entirely convinced that they're still playing the type of rugby that they're capable of. Uh, potentially, they're still a little bit off, um, but yet they are still, when the time is right, able to produce performances that show that they are more than capable of winning a final. So. I think frighteningly for a few people, um, you know, they're, they're not quite there yet. Yeah, but you look at it, I mean, Joe Moody, to come back into this team, um, you, you have a look at no Sam Whitelock on the weekend. You've still got Ethan Blackadder, uh, Jack Goodyou. I mean, it's scary to think about what's still to come. And they've gone from having 16 players out injured and struggling to put a side together to now have that wonderful, uh, that wonderful problem that coaches want and it's who to leave out. Yes, absolutely, and that's always been a strength of the Crusaders, and particularly in the, in the last decade, that that they have real depth within their squad, and it seems to be, which was has always been the case since those early years, that they can bring players in um, from outside of the franchise who have been struggling away somewhere else, who really thrive. You know, Christian Leo Willey would be an example of that, where. He's coming to the Crusaders' outfit and um, he's playing really good rugby. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think when they've got everybody fit and ready to go, um, you know, their their depth is probably unrivaled in the competition. Uh, and the fact that they've probably had some key players missing for large proportions of the tournament, uh, you know, you think of the likes of uh, Ethan Blackadder hasn't played much rugby. George Bauer's been out... Um, Sam Whitelock's been out a lot. Uh, you know, th- those are pretty important players, but seamlessly others step in and, and play really well. I thought Quinton Strange was really good at the weekend. Um, you know, Tom Christie uh, obviously had huge potential and has filled a spot for them, but, you know, with the vacancy in the back row, uh, 
there was a stage there where they were looking at picking a bigger back row and uh, Tom Christie was finding himself on the bench. But with Ethan Blackadder out, they had to change their philosophy there and he's now one of their most vital players and um, outstanding performers. So, yeah, they, they really do have a lot of depth in that squad. I mean, this was a clash of two heavyweight Super Rugby teams, but at a micro level, there were some individual battles. And the heavyweight championship of the world in regards to first five was on, Bowden Barrett versus Richie Mwanga. And if it was about Richie Mwanga won by an early round knockout, is he now clearly the starting 10 in the all-black jersey? Is, is, is there a gulf now between Richie Mwanga and the rest? And um. Yeah, look, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because different coaches have different philosophies. And there's, there's no doubt that I think if Scott Robertson, who is now going to be the next All Black coach, was the current coach, that he'd probably have uh, Richie Moonga, who he knows really well, um, as his starting team because he trusts him to implement a game plan that he believes in. Uh, he knows he's got a great skill set and um, you know, he probably doesn't know Bowden Barrett as well. Uh, but equally, you know, for the time that Ian Foster's been in charge with the All Blacks, uh, Bowden Barrett's been a pivotal member of that side, whether he was an assistant coach or now the current coach. And, and coaches sometimes tend to gravitate towards players that they trust and know. Uh, you know, Richie Moonga, in terms of uh, what Ian Foster knows about him, is still quite green because he's not really had a lot to do with him apart from the last couple of years as, as being All Black coach. So... Uh, when you look at performance, yeah, I think if anybody would admit, and, and probably even Bowden Barrett would say, yeah, look, uh, I probably didn't have as good a game as my opposite at the weekend, and there are times where that happens. Uh, but I don't think that determines um, whether or not a coach will start him uh, in, in that jersey for the All Blacks. I think it all has to do with who's around him and what sort of game plan that he wants to play. So some some of those sometimes totally outplaying the opposite uh, means absolutely nothing in the broader scheme of things in a weird sort of a way. I want to talk about the number 12 jersey too because everyone's talking Geordie Barrett, they're talking Anton Lennett-Brown, possibly Jack Goodhue. But the man who has played, look, a little bit inconsistent at times, but when he's been on is David Harvili. I, I thought Harvili was almost man of the match um, for the Crusaders over the weekend. Where does he sort of now fit in the pecking order in regards to 12s in this country? Well, I think probably with the announcement from Roger Tuivasa-Sheik and also the fact that he's struggling now to get his way into even the starting lineup for the Blues and, and his injury issues that he's had ever since really choosing to come to Rugby Union. He's really struggled with injury. Uh, you, you would think that um, he's, he's the one player that really has to find a miracle in, in the next sort of half a dozen weeks or so to convince the selectors uh, to get him in that all-black side. Uh, so when you think of incumbents, it was it was Roger Tuivasa-Sheik and, and David Harvelli, and I don't see any any uh, signs out there that David Harvelli has slipped away by any means um, from where he was last year. I think if you if you look at consistent performers week in and week out, he has to be one of the names that you would just about write down every week. Yeah, Justin, we had the discussion yesterday and you're pretty adamant, come World Cup time, you've got to play players in position. Can we suggest then that David Harvili, is, is he more of a number 12 than he is a fullback now? I think he's resigned himself to the fact that that's the jersey that not only the Crusaders want him to play in, but equally the All Blacks. And he was quite vocal a couple of years ago in saying that he prefers fullback. 
um, there's a bit of an issue when a guy walks through the door um, like Will Jordan and you want to play in the 15 jersey and so does he. <laughs> so that, that, that kind of does make you sort of think, oh, well, maybe there's a another option out there for me. Uh, you know, I, I remember when Dan Carter came into the Crusaders and uh, we had Mertz as a 10 and the potential of Dan Carter was all, always there, but he was never going to uh, shunt Mertz on real quickly because Mertz was still an all-black and still playing great rugby. So Dan Carter had to adapt and played 12. Uh, mm. So I think that's what David Harvelli, um uh, faced and, and he's taken the opportunity, I think, really well. Uh, his skill set is unique. He he's He's got great vision, great understanding of the way that the game needs to be played and what a, whatever jersey he wears. He brings a certain skill set, like the try that Lestifying Anuku so superbly finished off at the weekend wouldn't have happened without David Havili. Mm. Like he came around on a late loop, got the ball at depth, he beat a defender with speed and then a player came in from the wing to try and shut him down. He dummy passed uh, to Fying Anuku and then he did a one-handed offload as the fullback was coming towards him and, and set firing Anuku away. You know, that just doesn't happen without being world-class. So, yeah, I, I would absolutely expect David Harvelli to be pushing for that 12 jersey and he'll be pushing Geordie Barrett really hard. I, I want to ask you this because you've always talked about the half-back first five combinations. So Marshall Merton's a, a really good example, Aaron Smith, Dan Carter. What about the first five, second five relationship? Is that as important? So would there be weight in the fact that we've got David Harvey consistently playing outside of Richie Mawanga or is it more important that the 12 and 13 play more regularly together? Uh, it is important that the, the 10 and the 12 know each other and know each other seamlessly and uh, there'll be plenty out there outside of um, listening to In The Red who are interested in this conversation because they'll probably be thinking to themselves, well, I think Bowden Barrett knows his brother pretty well. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, but playing in your backyard at seven, it's not exactly all Black World Cup time, is it? No, exactly. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, the more you play with a player, uh, the more you get to know their common trends. You get to know the type of uh, ball that they want when they want to try and bust the line or they want to engage a defender. Um, you know whether they want it early, whether they want it late. Um whether or not they are very good post-contact or the better pre-contact, uh, and, and equally and massively, which not a lot of people think about because they just think defence is about tackling, but it's not. Defence is all about staying connected. Uh, and and if, when you stay connected and you don't have somebody being a loose cannon, you know what the man inside and outside you is doing uh, so that you formulate a really solid, good defensive line and each other looks after each other's back. That makes a huge difference to a team defensively, and that again is the knowledge of the person who is outside you and equally inside you that you know what shoulder they prefer to get on when they have to, how quickly they like to come up, or whether they like to hold back a bit, whether they like to go outside shoulder in, or they like to do drift defence. All of those little things have to happen in a rugby game without thinking. It's not about every time you set up for a set piece, you have a chat and go, oh. You know, what are you thinking here? You just know, you look at the guy and go, I know exactly what you're thinking here. Yeah, let's let's execute. Okay, let's talk about Cullen Grace because when you think of 
great number eights. You sort of go back to the Murray Mixteads, then you've got the Zinzan Brooks, you've got the Kieran Reeds, and arguably the most ferocious looking of all of them would have been Buck Shelford. And they, they've got, they, they sort of chiselled, they just look like big men, they just look like warriors. I just look at Cullen Grace, and there's a little bit of an Andy Ewell look about him. He's sort of you know, he doesn't put the gel in his hair. There's nothing particularly sort of fierce in his look, but clearly he appears to be the complete player. I mean, how good is this guy? And why is he, why did he come across so unassuming, I guess? Well, I think that's his character, isn't it? Uh, you know, you never really see him, uh, you know, lose his, his head in the game. You know, he never seems to be too phased about anything that's going on on the field. He, he kind of just goes about his method. Uh, I can't ever remember him being at any stage that I've seen him aggressive, you know, like, uh, you know, let's think of Dane Coles for, for an example, you know, every opportunity he's grabbing somebody by the scruff of the neck and, or giving them a gob fall or whatever it might be. Um, that's his nature and that gets him going. But, you know, Cullen Grace has been hitting some pretty good shots. Um, he's probably dished out a little bit of damage to a few people as well, but he, he doesn't ever seem to be a guy that um, overly thinks uh, physicality. He, he just gets on with what he's doing. So, yeah, nothing seems to really rattle him, which is a good sign. Uh, I think the, probably the best thing is at the moment for him is he's not being shifted around the back row. And I think it's a major problem in our game at the moment. You know, we saw Shannon Frizzell playing lock last night. Um for the Highlanders, uh, you know, equally, we, we seen, t- tend to see even Ethan Blackadder shifted from open side to blind side um, to Buvai between blind side and lock. And a lot of our players um, are being moved around different jerseys in the back row, and it doesn't, again, get them time to develop into the jersey. Cullen Grace, since game one before he got injured and ever since he's come back has had the number eight jersey on his back and he's pretty much playing 80 minutes and I think that's really helping his growth and his game um yeah I think that's what he's all about to be perfectly honest he just wants to roll his sleeves up and get stuck in you guys acknowledged it but you did put the commentator's curse on him on the weekend he was brilliant (laughs) then you talked about how damn good he was and then he knocks on I know I know there's a little bit of an injury in the call come through from uh, VT that they had a highlights package of uh, the first 15 minutes of Cullen Grace, which had been bloody good. And <laughs> sure enough, we showed it in that break. And then as soon as the, the, the injury was tended to in the scrum set, um, Cullen Grace did one of the most mandatory knock-ons you can ever do at the base at the back of the scrum for a number eight. And I was just like, oh, no. Um, but, yeah, you don't often see him, see him making errors, which made it even... I guess more comical because it just doesn't happen. I just want to touch on Cody Taylor because one thing where the Blues were maybe not so good but the Crusaders were excellent, that was at line-out time, that was at set-piece. Question mark Mm. over Taylor, like a lot of our hookers in this country and that's throwing the ball into the line-out. He seems to have addressed that or is it, it, do we place too much emphasis on the hooker and there's actually a lot of other moving parts in a line-out and it's, it's too easy to always blame a hooker when things aren't going right? Bit of both. There is a lot of moving parts and a lot of it has got to do with the caller and making sure that, you know, when they have their cue that the lifters and the jumper uh, are in sync because that's what the hooker relies on uh, and that's all about timing. So the better you know the line-out caller and the jumper and lifters, uh, the more likely you are to succeed. Uh, But the hooker still has to get the accuracy right. Um, I think about Cody Taylor's throwing at the weekend. The Crusaders did two to three throws where they went right past the end of the line-out over the 15 and every time that found the man and that's not an easy skill to execute mm. you know you're throwing 
the ball basically into open space. Um, you've got to give it the right amount of um, energy so that it does clear the line out uh, and it doesn't just, just fall over the 15 that the player coming from 10 metres back also gets there. So that, that just takes uh, real timing and accuracy and uh, everything that you saw from Cody Taylor at the weekend was all about that. I thought as much as you know, you always like to compliment a player from scoring a try, I th- thought that he was the catalyst for the first try of the Crusaders. Just his experience at the back of the mall to recognise that he wasn't going to get change out of one situation. He bursts away as an individual, but sometimes you can get isolated, but he recognised that he needed leg drive and needed to make sure that the Blues defenders that were in the mall, when they looked up, they couldn't go lateral to the ball because they would have been offside. He had done that good a job at pumping his legs from the ruck and mall that there were no defenders there once he placed the ball for Quinton's change to have to deal with. That sort of thing just shows to me world-class player, very accurate and a really good thinker of the game, knowing his role and, and performing it well. You're listening to In the Red, Mark Watson alongside of me, All Black great Justin Marshall. Chemist Warehouse, the real house of fragrances. We'll take a break when we come back. We'll also get Justin to pick his DHL Crusader player of the Super Rugby Pacifica round and also his DHL player across Super Rugby Pacifica. Yeah, All Black legend Justin Marshall, Mark Watson, alongside of him, we are putting the emphasis and focus on the Crusaders. Uh, Justin, three games remaining in the regular season for the Crusaders before we get into playoffs. Moana Pacifica this week, then it's the Waratahs, and then it's the Hurricanes. What will be, what will be the strategy here of Razor, his coaching staff, in regards to player management? Uh, continuing that upward curve in regards to peaking for the playoffs, and objectives? Uh, Look, I certainly feel that wasn't it quite good to be able to get Tamidi Allison um, on the Sunday uh, trade rugby run yesterday because you asked him the question, to be honest. (laughs) So it was quite good to hear him say that they would probably think about if they were ever going to have the opportunity as they lead into the the last um, couple of games and then into the quarter semis final, uh, rest some players. It would be this weekend. Um, he said not disrespecting Minor Pacifica, obviously, but he certainly felt that there's probably some players that um, have had a bit of a heavy load of late. Um, there'll be some All Blacks that probably need some rest. I'm thinking Moonga and Harvili are probably a couple that spring to mind straight away. Uh, possibly, possibly firing a nuku. Um, depends what category the All Black selectors have got him in. So you'd think that if they were ever going to do it, it would be this weekend. I don't see them doing it in the last two rounds, um, and particularly not the last round against the Hurricanes. Is it another opportunity? Do you, do you bring Whitelock in? Do you bring um, Blackadder in if, if available? Or do they just continue to have more time on the sideline? Is, is there a danger of having too much rest? I don't think for Whitelock, there's not. Um, you know, he just he just loves getting to this stage of the season. He's just too professional. He's been there. He's done that before. He still trains hard, regardless of whatever injury he's carrying. Uh, he can just get up for anything. Um, Ethan Black had a more different situation. I think he just needs rugby because he hasn't had enough. Um, pretty much missed all of last year. Had his injury troubles this year as well. Um He's, he's a guy to me that is different than Whitelock. He needs time on the field. So if they can get him out there, I think that they would ha- they would have him out there. 
Uh, and also, I think they just need to throw some players out there that they might need to rely on should a key player get injured in the, in the final stages, you know, like uh, at the moment, um, Willie Hines is injured. Um, so Noah Hotham's been doing a great job. He probably needs another start uh, just to continue his development. Um, they probably obviously maybe need to think about Fergus Burke getting an opportunity at 10 should something happen to Moonga. Um you know, equal, equally like the back row, uh, Tom Christie's had a heavy workload, so they may do a bit, a little bit of uh, fiddling around there as well. Um, everything else, I kind of think, take, takes care of itself. Will Jordan obviously has only just come back. Um, nobody's consistently since Sever Reese really grabbed a hold of the other wing position, other uh, opposite um, Fyinganuku. So there's still some experimenting to be done there. But I certainly thought Dallas McLeod didn't look out of place at the weekend. So th- those are probably the areas they might target to make some changes. Okay. Um, the DHL Super Rugby Pacific is underway. Justin, your DHL Super Rugby Pacific player out of the Crusaders for this weekend. Um, so so for the Crusaders, you're talking about... Yeah, you? for the Crusaders, yeah, within the Crusaders yeah, set up. Sorry, yeah, no, just um, late on a Monday night for me. <laughs> but... Yeah, look, I, I'm thinking uh, there, there was some quality performers at the weekend and uh, and some key players that I think the Crusaders really needed to front up. You mentioned Harvey I mentioned Tom Christie. Um, you know, in particular, had really good games. Um, Cody Taylor, I thought, was excellent. But you just can't go past the contribution of Lester Fyinganuku. Like, what a difference maker he was up against two uh, All Blacks as well, um, you know, in front of All Black selectors. But it wasn't about the All Blacks for him, it was about the Crusaders. You could see how much it meant to him when he scored his try, when he banged his chest. And uh, I just thought his work rate, his enthusiasm, um, his, the difficulty in stopping him, his quality finishing. Uh, he tackled and made great reads defensively. He got a couple of turnovers at breakdowns. He was everywhere. So quite conclusively, um, he, he is my Crusader of the round. Okay, and your DHL Super Rugby Pacifica player of the round? DHL Super Rugby Pacific player of the round. Well, I can't look too biased, um, so <laughs> I won't. Well, you're allowed to be. I'll I mean, le- uh, that, I mean, I think that, yeah, yeah, I mean, mind you, Queensland Reds did well, didn't they? They did. They did do well. Um, but look, at the end of the day, another player who's just in consistent form um, week in and week out and has been one of the best players on the planet in the last three to four years Um was outstanding at the weekend, and that was Artie Savia. Uh, you know, like, um, if you ever thought that a guy might just start to be hurting from volume and starting to fatigue a little bit and a bit worried about leading into a Rugby World Cup, that his form was dropping away, it would have been him for how good he's been in the last three or four years. But, man, he just seems to be right at the peak of his powers and uh, three tries at the weekend and uh, just a leader and an inspiration at the moment. So he gets the nod over Leicester. DHL Super Rugby Pacific. Catch the action live on Sky Sport or get tickets at superrugby.co.nz. Justin, I was just curious about this. I mean, I've you know run some big miles and woken up with some really, really sore legs in my day, but I've never been at the bottom of an all-black ruck. I've never been uh, in a gladiatorial game like, or gladiatorial team sport like we saw on Saturday night. How sore are you the next day when you get two teams like that beating each other up? And do you, do you feel it more on the Monday or do you feel it the next day? Pretty much the second day. Uh, yeah. After the game, you know, so uh, on the Sunday, you'd be thinking, yeah, I was in a battle there and, and that hurts a little bit. But 
the bruises and the contact and the physicality tend to come out two days afterwards and then that's about making sure that the coaches recognise those players that are hurting more and making sure that the Monday session when you've got a, had a physical game like that one at the weekend is well managed and the players are looked after. You start to run it out by sort of three to four days later but that third that third day, um, you know, to, to the third sort of session, you're starting to feel a lot better. And, and based on that performance, based on that game you saw on Saturday night, how sore will those boys be? Because it almost Very. was test match quality, wasn't it? Test match intensity. Yeah, no, absolutely. I spoke to Razor off camera about it. I saw Scott Hansen as I was making my way down to the field and both of them just said, wow, that was physical. There will be some sore bodies in our changing shed. And I said, yeah, I totally agree. That's exactly how we saw it. I said, the benefit is in your shed, it's with a win. In the blue shed, they'll be equally as sore, but they haven't got the win. And mm. that makes all the difference in how you feel. You did see that knock on though, didn't you? Absolutely not. <laughs> I haven't even watched the replay. <laughs> hey, Justin, lovely uh, lovely chatting again. We'll do it all again on the weekend. Thank you. Thanks, Wado. Cheers for everybody joining us tonight in the red. Yeah, there we go. Another edition of In the Red. Chemist Warehouse, the real house of fragrances. Just want to acknowledge also DHL for their support of SENZ.